This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's, who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here for today's interview episode with Rebecca Ford. Hi. And with David Canfield. Hello. Uh, We have two interviews today, and Rebecca, we're going to hear yours first. You talked to Ashley Park, who I think a lot of people have been fans of from Emily in Paris and other things for a while, Um, but I've really clocked into her because she's having a pretty fantastic year between Beef and now Joyride. Um, I assume you guys had plenty to talk about. We did. You know, she had a she's had a really impressive career on Broadway. She was nominated for a Tony f- for um, Mean Girls. She was well known on the stage, but she's really just like blowing up on film and TV right now. And so um, I got to see Joyride a while back before South by Southwest. And I just found it so bold and funny. And the comedy is so raunchy, which I think is really the hardest type of comedy to do and do right. So mm-hmm. I was really excited to talk to her about it. Yeah, it seems like it was, uh, you know, kind of an ideal South by premiere where it's like this like big raunchy comedy, but it's a bold movie in a lot of ways, not just because it's like a, an entirely Asian led cast, which, as we know, is still a real rarity. Um, it seems like something people should seek out, even if raunchy comedy isn't automatically the first thing they'd go for. Yeah, I highly recommend seeing it in theaters. Uh, it also stars Stephanie Hsu, who we all know from Everything Everywhere All at Once. She was Oscar nominated um, and a couple other really funny actors. And there's some surprising appearances as well throughout the movie. So it's a really fun one to see in theaters. So I definitely recommend that experience. Well, now that No Hard Feelings did pretty well, I feel like the summer of raunch comedy might be upon us. It seems, <laughs> it seems like a good thing. I hope so. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear your conversation with Ashley Park. I'm so excited to welcome Ashley Park, who stars in Joyride. It's a wild ride of a comedy that hits theaters this Friday. Ashley, thank you for joining me. Hi. I um I got to see Joyride a while back, like before South by Southwest, and I laughed so hard. I feel like that's such a unique experience these days to really like crack up in a theater. Um, so I'm curious for you, what was your first impression reading the script? I remember I got the script. It was actually like maybe a week or two right before the pandemic started. 
I had done The King and I on Broadway with Daniel Day Kim, and he had become such a great like mentor and champion of mine, um, just like really believing me in me and encouraging me for a while. And he had texted me one day and was like, oh, Adele Lim, who did Crazy Rich Asians, and Teresa Shaw, who does Nora from Queens, and um, Cherry, they have this concept in the script, and I think it's going to be greenlit by Lionsgate and Point Grey. And um, they asked if I knew an actress who had a, as much heart as she has humor. And he was like, I thought of you because I was, I really only done Broadway at that point. I think I had filmed Emily in Paris season one, but it hadn't come out yet. And so I was like, oh, absolutely. And the project was called Joy Fuck Club. And so mm -hmm. I got a version of the script. Um, before I talked to Adele, uh, we just FaceTimed and I, first of all, just the title in itself, but I was really blown away. I think I had like 10 minutes and I ended up canceling an appointment because I, I read it all in one sitting on my bed in my studio in Midtown. And I, the same reaction as you had when you watched it, I had, I don't think I've read a script where I laughed out loud that much. And I, I really cried hard at the part that I'm sure you know what I'm talking about too. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I, it, I, I remember like distinctly uh, feeling like I really felt like I know four different characters by the end of it and their relationships. And, you know, this is one of the, I think they must have gone through almost a hundred different versions of the script. Um, and so that was a previous one. I think there were water buffalo in that one, but there are certain <laughs> like stronghold um, pillars of the plot that definitely stuck throughout. And yeah, I was just, I was, I think I was so blown away because I was so excited that this was even happening. Um, and then to read the script and see how smart and funny um, and nuanced it was even at that point, I was really blown away that like Lionsgate and Point Grey was interested in this. And I was just really happy that it was good. And I remember really feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I would love, you know, I hadn't done that much screen work at that point. So I was just like, I would love a shot at this, but even if I'm not involved, this is definitely a movie I will go watch first thing when it comes out. And I was just like so excited that it was happening in general. And so your character, Audrey, you know, she starts out as this woman who seemingly has it all together and is going on this business trip and her friends and uh, end up going along with her. What did you like most about her journey? I liked, first of all, and I think collaborating with the creators too, we really worked on this, but I was really interested in the fact that she has like flaws and growth to go through as well. And to see a character really go through the trajectory of not only getting to explore so many different parts of like emotion and um, like the vibrancy of like a, a full human. But I think for me, what I really connected to is understanding right away that especially Teresa, Adele and Sherry must understand some of the things that I was first starting to reflect on in terms of being in an industry and in a world that was very much built by, built for, you know, white people or people who didn't look like me. And all of the negotiation that Audrey goes through and like, really finding a way to be like genuinely ambitious and excited to be in this world that she really had no part in at first. Like I really, really connected with that. And also just the fact that part of her identity of like, you know, she really, it wasn't that she was trying to ever deny being Asian, but she just really had never faced that part of her identity and was fine with it. Um, and I think that it really mirrored that time in my life too, where I was like, oh, this is not, um, this is, not just like a quality of me. This is a big part of my identity. And I was like really happy to really um, like infuse that into building this character. And I think I just, I loved the fact that she, um, 
was, you know, not only like the straight man or the protagonist in it is just that she really does go on this like big journey and have very specific relationships. And I felt like there was a lot to like build off of there as well. Yeah, I, I love this ensemble. We have Stephanie Shu, Sherry Cola, and Sabrina Wu who are in it with you. And the four of you have such great chemistry on screen. Did you spend a lot of time bonding before filming? How did you sort of develop that relationship? It's so, I, we love hearing that and, you know, and doing press right now too. It's something that's come up a lot, you know, about the chemistry of us four. And I think the best thing about it is it wasn't until we've been asked about it that I even thought about our chemistry because it was such a given. It was like such from the very first moment we all four met together. And I, I mean, we we did our chemistry reads and auditions like still in the height of COVID. I was in Paris filming season two. So I would get home from filming and at 10 p.m. log on to Zoom and do these chemistry reads and stuff. And I think that the fact that even the four of us not ever having spent time together in person, they could see on their Zoom screen, oh, this is this is the group. And I think that that comes with like the four of us are extremely hardworking so that it's easy to play. And then we are um, like very wholesome people. I have been so excited to celebrate the three of them, um, especially since we've filmed this. And I feel the same way with them. And as cheesy as it might sound, like this really has been a family from the get-go. We all felt like we were long lost cousins. And like, it's just been like the most honest and like rambunctious and vibrant like group when we're together. And we just... Um, we did bond a lot while, you know, you would think we'd be tired of each other after filming all day together. And the amount of times I fell asleep on the couches of the three of their apartments in Vancouver um, says a lot in itself. And we were just very comfortable always in PJs and playing games and all of this. So it was it was really magical. And it feels very nice to be going through this journey with the three of them because we all feel very grounded in the friend, the real friendship that we've created with each other. When I did a piece on the film earlier um, and I talked to you guys and, and you know, you were all pointing out, like, you've done a ton of really great supporting work, but here you are being the leads of a movie, which is a different experience. And, and I'm curious how that played on you mentally to sort of know that you were leading this this project. Yeah, it's so funny. It's um, I in the same way that I started on Broadway in the ensemble and as an understudy. And I really worked hard and learned a lot and then earned a place in different kinds of roles. I'm really glad that this is the first time I've been number one on a call sheet or been the lead or um, had a movie center on like my story as the protagonist. And I think that, first of all, it made for such a healthy and amazing set because the four of us are so used to being supportive and making sure that everyone else's stories and everyone else's moments are being heard. And so, I mean, there were moments when everybody was like, wait, no, Ashley, like, this is like, <laughs> you're allowed <laughs> to take up space, which is so funny when I would hear that because I would think, oh my gosh, I've been so ready to take up space. But when you've kind of spent three decades not, um, and finding genuine happiness and like value and being supporting, then it's almost like hard to take that conditioning off of yourself. And um, I, even when I first read the script, I realized now that, you know, because I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what my character would go through or anything. So I was just so used to getting a script and automatically looking at the supporting characters. And I really um, was like, oh, am I more of a Lolo or a cat or a dad? I wonder which one. And then at a certain point in the film, you know, when it becomes obvious that a Korean actress would play this role, I was like, oh my gosh, are they considering me for this? And, you know, my 
my younger, I have one younger sister. Her name's Audrey too. So there's just so many moments <laughs> of in this, but, um, even on the, la- I, I think I was really just focused on making like the best comedy and, uh, especially for Audrey, the, the really fun but tricky thing was really earning the emotional and heart of of the story as well because we're in such this like wild debaucherous comedy um and so having smart writers and like Adele Cherry and Teresa really champion like not having to navigate explaining to them what someone an Asian American who grew up in a white community might have felt like really helped in figuring out the puzzle of how to make the story and Audrey's trajectory of her character work. But even on the last day, there's a tradition on set most of the time where the leader, the number one on the call sheet when you rap, makes some kind of speech. And I've never had this happen, but I like froze. Like I couldn't even <laughs> take up that space because I think I was in, I was still processing, wow, we just finished this movie and I was the lead in it. And I don't have to apologize for that. And I think actually Sherry ended up making the speech. Like she gives such great speeches that we are, we say speech every night um, and is a great speaker in that way. But I just, I remember that stuck with me for a while. Cause I remember being on sets and being like, Oh, one day, like I'll, I'll be so happy to be able to do that. And it was almost like I froze because I so wasn't used to it. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And you mentioned the comedy. I think this kind of comedy is really hard to do. Sort of this raunchy, balls-to-the-wall comedy can be, I think, really vulnerable because you do yeah. a lot of alts and you have to, like, you don't know, I don't know how you know what's going to work. How did it feel to be in those scenes that were so wild and trying to deliver? Yeah, I mean, I think it was really helpful that, you know, from the th- my three co-stars to all of the, I interacted with a lot of the cameo performers and a lot of people who came in for a couple of days. It was helpful, first of all, just because everybody had a really great energy and was game for anything and was was great at listing, was not forceful. And there was just like no ego, really, um, in terms of the acting. But I think in terms of comedy, I'm glad that I've done stuff like Emily in Paris and like other comedies, because I think what's shocking when you spend so long in the theater is not having that magic interaction with the live audience right then. And you get feedback from them right away. and You know how to continue on with the story. And so I think that if this had been my first time on screen in a comedy, I would have probably melted being like, wait, did that work? Like, why is no one laughing? What's happening? And I think what, what was nice is, uh, Comedy comes from, I think, two things. It's first of all, like the craft of timing and all of those magic things that are happening and like the writing, but also 
really understanding like the intention of a character. And so I think that like really approaching it almost academically sometimes and being like, what is my character doing? What do they want? What are they thinking right now? And how do I make the audience an audience laughs? I found when they relate to something that they're seeing um, and not just. And I think what was tricky about this and really fun is that there's so many plot driven things mishaps and things that happen that are funny but I think it's really what's been rewarding to see with audiences is like you you react to or they react to and connect to the characters reactions to because they they really understand what the characters are thinking and such so I think it was really fun that we just got to be brave there's a lot of also you know it's my first time doing a lot of intimacy stuff my first time with a lot of this kind of content and debaucherous stuff and even physical comedy having throw up in my mouth all of this stuff and I think that first of all really trusting the creators and the producers that at no point would my body or my person be the butt of the joke instead you know we're just butts and jokes you know and um and that they were all to further the story or to deepen what the audience understands of Audrey as a character so that we can get to a certain point in the film um I think that having that trust made it so much more comfortable to just really go balls to the wall a little bit and the comedy is so strong but also I think the way it explores identity and as you're saying like has this heart to it um, makes this story really special did going through this experience um, shift your own perspective when it comes to identity or your family history or sort of looking at those issues in any way oh absolutely it really it really really did you know for a while especially uh, especially in the Broadway world I think around like Mean Girls and such and um or even just in auditioning in general, I'd always, or in walking through life in this world, I had always associated, if someone said to me, oh my gosh, I thought you were, I totally forgot you're Asian. I would take that as a compliment growing up because I thought, oh, if they're not seeing that I'm Asian, if they're not right away saying you're the Asian person, that means they must be seeing a different quality about me. And that means that they must be seeing like the human that I am. And now, especially with this film, I've never been in something that was not only where I was surrounded by Asian people, but like led by them and it was created by them. And a lot of the supervisors were Asian. And I and, you know, I, I don't know if you you know, if anyone else grew up this way, but like I remember thinking, oh, like, my gosh, if like I'm with a bunch of Asian friends and we're loud in a restaurant, like people are going to think that Asians are weird or anything like we have all these preconceived notions that we've grown up with. Um, and to get to go out to eat every night and be surrounded by these Asian, you know, peers that I just like adore and think the world of and who are good at their jobs. It was really, it just really was a game changer for me. And it made me realize like the standard can be at that too. And I think now it's not that I want people to forget that I'm Asian. It's very much with this film. It's like, I want them to say, Oh, I see everything about you and I understand you and you're Asian, you know, like I'm, I'm, you're not seeing me in spite of being, being Asian, you're seeing me and I'm also Asian. And I think that, yeah, it really was my first time getting to be with all Asian people. And it felt, and it not, and not saying that I haven't enjoyed every other thing that I've done and other people that I've gotten to work with, but there is a different like nuance to it of just like not having to explain yourself or having things already explained to you in a, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a very white community, and obviously my name is Rebecca Ford, and I, I feel yeah. like I've dealt with sort of the same experience, and it really speaks to 
how your world opens up with representation and these sorts of opportunities. So. Yeah, I mean, and that I think that's why also I was so hungry to even just, just be a part of something like Beef in a small mm -hmm. way too. Yeah. And just, I remember seeing the script and being like, oh, I didn't know that other people had this kind of Korean American church experience growing up or that I'm allowed to talk about it. And so many nuances of that. I love Stephen and Allie and Sunny and such. And so I, I think that also like, you know, what's great is not just seeking out, Oh, I want to be part of an Asian project. It's like, I want to be part of a great TV show. I want to be part of an amazing, I like iconic comedy and they happen to be in an Asian perspective and they happen to be universal to everybody who watches it. Um, I think that's, that's really shifted my goals in a way. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to bring up beef because obviously that show was such a breakout hit and such an incredible cast. And is there anyone um, that you really like learned from being a part of that experience, whether it was one of the other actors or storytellers? Oh yeah. I mean, I think I really, I loved it because I learned a lot just like in general. Um, I had most of my scenes with Ali Wong and also Maria Bello, who's amazing. Yeah, but I she's so good. <laughs> yeah, she's so great. And she, um, both of them are so experienced in different parts of the industry as well. And I think I didn't get to interact as much with Steven on screen, but just having his presence as a producer and around set and I'm very close to Ali Wong now. And I think that I think that anybody even, you know, just in terms of I've had really great examples of how to conduct yourself on a set and as like a leader. And I think that working with them really reinforced a lot of that for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're so accomplished on stage, but I, I'm really excited to see this moment for you in film and TV, you know, between Emily in Paris, Joyride, Beef. How would you sort of summarize what's going on with you right now? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I think, um, I think I would summarize it as I'm very grateful, you know, yeah. I really did like in a very true sense, but kind of like, you know, if I, if I look at, and I didn't mean for it to be this way necessarily, but even like my Broadway credits, it's like, um, Mamma Mia was this like long running jukebox musical. King and I was this revival of Rogers and Hammerstein. I got to do a Sondheim. I got to do a play and I got to do an original musical based on like pop culture zeitgeist, Mean Girls. And um, I think with everything, I was just very hungry to prove to myself and yeah, really just like, well, what can I learn the most from? What would be the most challenging? And I think what I've enjoyed, and I think it probably comes from like, growing up and really not wanting to be put in a box and really wanting to just surprise myself and other people. Of, oh, she does that too. Or, oh, I, I, I thought she was this thing, you know, like after I did the King and I, I couldn't be seen for anything comedic for almost a year, you know, and just to, um, I think people are very comfortable, especially with Asian faces being like, oh, I get you now. You're the funny one. So we'll put you here. Oh, you are the sexy one. I'll put you here. You're the dramatic one, you know. And so I think with film and TV, I just got to film this indie in Utah by Nora Kirkpatrick. And um, this is the most wonderful cast of three people, David Diggs, Josh Gad and Alexandra Daddario. And like really just like learning from people as hu like humans. I'm like very hungry to work with just like really smart and like beautiful people like on the inside and um I think that even that too I, I've I'm just taking I guess everything in stride right now and um trying to just be grounded <laughs> grounded through it and do good work and do parts that I'm really interested in roles now that really explore people's relationships with each other and like mm -hmm. um ask all questions in the stories but don't give an answer you know, I think that's really easy to try to push answers down people's throats when they watch stuff. But it's more interesting to me to, like, start a conversation in a way. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. We're almost out of time, but I uh, I wanted to wrap up by asking what it was, what it's been like to watch this movie with an audience. Uh, I assume you saw it at South by, but yeah, any, anywhere else you've seen it. It's been so fun. Actually, you know, I think when I was in theater, I had a really hard time watching videos of myself or anything. Um, and with TV and film, I've gotten a little bit more used to it because it's kind of it's nice that it's not in your control anymore. It's like, I can't do anything about what, <laughs> what, what the take they picked or whatever. But, um, but other stuff I've done, I've maybe watched everything once, but this movie I've watched a few times now. Cause I really, I think, and I'm so glad that Lionsgate and Point Grape were determined to make this a theatrical release because I think a comedy like this has to be in a shared space um, with people beside you laughing and crying. And I think every audience, like South by Southwest was so different from Campfest and San Fran was so different from the L.A. premiere. And I've enjoyed watching it just because people are always laughing throughout, but it's interesting to observe. Also, there's so many things that happen that sometimes people are laughing over the next thing and just like what people respond to. And it's been, I don't know, I, I, I think that's what I miss most about theater is having that room full of people um, in that like shared journey for that one day or that, you know, uh, that moment in time. And so I think that's what's been, it's been really enjoyable watching this, not because I'm watching it on my own screen, but it's because it's what the magic of like having it with those people at that time. Okay, David, now we're going to hear your conversation with Glenn Howerton, who has been synonymous with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for, what, 15 years, for as long as that show's been on, for seemingly forever. Um, But kind of like Ashley Park has been branching out a lot this year. Yeah, he's the kind of villain antagonist of BlackBerry, which is one of the best indies of the year so far. Um, and he's kind of a revelation in it. <laughs> he plays uh, Jim Balsley, who was a key figure investor in the founding of BlackBerry, uh, which the, the film depicts that sort of shocking rise and fall story. Um, and he's this incredibly animated, intense figure who, like Howerton, if, you, if you're familiar with his work on Sonny, uh, he's a kind of a natural fit for. He plays that kind of type really well, but it's in a completely different context. And he really runs away with the movie. And uh, when it hit theaters uh, back in May, there was kind of a drumbeat of like, let's get him on the Oscar nomination circuit. Sure. uh, And here he is. Here here he is two (laughs) months later. And and that seemed to to build a little bit as the film's gone on VOD and had a pretty good life there. Yeah, I feel like this is the time of year you get, you know, the best movies of the year so far lists and people like me who tune out of movies a little bit in the first half of the year because Oscar season isn't here yet. This is the ideal time to catch up with movies like Blackberry, I think, when enough people have told you, you got to watch this. Um, So it feels like now's a perfect time to talk to Glenn about it. Yeah, this guy went to Juilliard, which I had no idea. And I think he's been waiting a very long time to be talked about or at least considered in this context. So... Uh, He seems really excited and energized by it. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear it. Let's hear your conversation with Glenn Howerton. We're here to talk about Blackberry, which is, I think, one of the best movies of the year. Oh, amazing. Thanks, man. It's it's interesting to me that this movie has kind of lived a kind of a great life already, and it was made for not a lot of money. I'm I'm curious how you've experienced just the rollout of it uh, from the moment it was released. Well, I've ne- I've never. I mean, the truth is, I haven't done a lot of movies. I yeah. haven't worked a lot in the film world, uh, which is 
partially a byproduct of the fact that I've been just kind of mostly unavailable and, and mm-hmm. busy most of the time. I mean, um, there were always ways to, to carve out that time, but uh, I only wanted to do it if it was for something that I was you know, really excited about. Um, I didn't want to work in film just for the sake of working in film. I wanted to work on good things. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done honestly has been with friends too, which I also love doing because it's just fun. Um, so I've never, I've never done a movie, even honestly, this size where I was the lead. Um, you know, this, this was probably a, I don't know. I, I think it was like close to 10 million Canadian, which I'm not yeah. exactly sure what that equates to. So it wasn't tiny, tiny, but for the scope of movie that it was, it was a pretty small budget for sure. Um, but, you know, IFC, who is our distributor in North America and uh, all the great support of uh, Elevation in Canada and XYZ uh, as well, uh, they really, they really saw something in the film, really got behind it and really, you know, put the PR engine to work and got people out to theaters to watch it. And, um, and now on VOD, a lot of people are, are watching it as well. So, I mean, the rollout for me has been, has been really, really fun. I mean, we did a lot of, we did a lot of premieres. I'm not, I used to go yeah. on so many premieres. We did, <laughs> I mean, we did the, the world premiere in Berlin, which was uh, really, really exciting. Cause it's such an incredible festival. The fact that we even got in, is just, that just blew my mind. Um, you know, we did the world premiere there. Then we did the U.S. premiere at South by Southwest, and then we did the Canadian premiere up in Toronto. And and then we even did like an L.A. premiere, although that was a little bit smaller. It was kind of like a friends and family and industry people thing. So I've now seen the movie with an audience. Uh, I don't know, three or four times. Yeah, it's uh, that. That's the way this goes when people like it. <laughs> yeah, luckily. Yeah. I'm curious because you haven't done a lot of film and this is such a great role that you really run away with, you know, what is your reaction when it comes your way? Like, what does it feel like to see that on the page and and to feel like you have the opportunity to get to do it? I mean, I was honestly pretty blown away. The script was so good and the role was so, so incredible that sadly, my first thought was, why aren't they offering this to a, a bigger name in film? Sure. Um, you know, I, I hold some sway in the in the world of television, but uh, in the world of film, you know, I just felt like this is the kind of role that they could get a, a huge star uh, to mm-hmm. to do because it was so juicy, in my mind at least. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just not what Matt Johnson, the director, wanted. Uh, he saw something in me as an actor. He's familiar with my work, mostly in comedy. Um, on It's Always Sunny and AP Bio and stuff like that. And he just saw what he wanted for that guy, which I find interesting because I I can see the lineage between some of the characters that I've played and Jim uh, in Blackberry, but it's slightly circuitous. uh, And Mm -hmm. so it's it's nice when when you feel like somebody sees what you're capable of outside of what you've actually done. Yeah, had you... Had you felt that way before? You mentioned maybe feeling like it was, a, it was an availability issue with some films, but um, were scripts like this coming your way too often? Or roles like Not this, scripts. I should say? Um, no, honestly, no. Um, it, it's tough to to break out of the box a little bit. I think people yeah. see you doing comedy. And look, I mean, it's weird because before I did Sonny, um, I feel like most of the auditions I was going on and some of the work that I'd done was in dramatic films. And I remember... At one point, I was supposed to be auditioning for like this comedy show, and uh, 
this is probably in the early 2000s and and I remember the casting director feedback that we got from the from the um from my agent they wouldn't even see me because they were like, well, he doesn't do comedy. He's not a comedy guy. He's a drama hmm. guy. Because I, I guess I'd come into that casting office and done a bunch of dramatic auditions. And you know, so they're like, this guy doesn't know how to do comedy. Like, why, why are we, you right. know, so they wouldn't even see me for it. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just the nature of the business. I understand it. I get it. I've been guilty of it myself, like seeing people in comedies and being like, well, wait, that's a comedy person. That's what they do, you know, only to discover that, the, the, you know, there's more layers there. But um so, uh, so no, I, I, I haven't been getting, I hadn't been getting a lot of scripts, uh, like that, that were that good, that juicy, that even though it's funny and it is very funny, um, yeah, it is. that it's, you know, it's, it, it's played the, the, the movie's funny, but we don't play it like a comedy. Yeah. Did you feel a certain degree, not necessarily of pressure, but of, you know, meeting the moment, say when you do get a part like this, uh, and you obviously have a great filmmaker behind you of, you know, getting it right. It's a good question and a totally fair question. I think I had a couple of things going in my favor. One, because I have been doing this for a long time, it wasn't that I had all the confidence in the world that I could pull it off as much, although I did, but it wasn't so much that as it was that I made a decision to be confident that I could do it. Um, So I had to kind of work myself up a little bit and and remind myself you do know what you're doing you do know how to do this it's been a while since you've worked this hard in 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 drama um but you have before um you have it in you so i i there was a lot of like positive self talk <laughs> uh sure. in the in the lead up to uh, filming and certainly in the in the process of of working on it not being too hard on myself about the process um i only had about 3 weeks to prepare so i didn't have it's not like i had you know, the luxury of, um, you know, having a few months to really, really dig in. So I had to be, I had to be really calculated and, 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 and specific about how I was going to spend my preparation time. And I, so I had to choose to be not too hard on myself about the things that I wasn't able to do, uh, that I would have liked to have done and just trust that, um, when I got on set, uh, that I would that it would be there for me when I needed it. And a lot of that was having a lot of really in-depth conversations with Matt. Yeah. The director. So what, what did those conversations look like? What kind of things did you guys get into in terms of the characterization? Well, was a lot of it was getting on the same page about the tone of the script, making sure that we were on the same page about what was really driving the character overall, what the, what the, what that internal engine is like, what does this guy really ultimately want? Even if he doesn't know what it is, like, what does he ultimately want? You know, a lot of like really basic kind of actory stuff, um, but also, you know, I'm I'm a big believer. I mean, this isn't it's not like what I'm about to say is controversial. It's 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 the way it should be. But like, you're in your character is always in service of the overall story. So I needed to mm-hmm. understand from him what he felt like the movie was about, what it was for him, and, and really to get a better idea of how I'm meant to fit in with the overall picture. Um, so a lot of focus on the script itself. Um, one of the things that I, that I did as I just, I just read the script over and over and over and over and over again so that I knew it inside it out. So anytime I had to step into a scene, I knew the script so well that I knew what came before and I knew what came after. I mean, you still forget, you get on set and you're like, wait, what did I, where am I coming from? (laughs) You know, um, but 
it was really just uh, asking a lot of questions, a lot of dialogue. And, you know, Matt's such a great director. He was also open to all of my ideas and, and my interpretation of what he'd written. And a lot of times was sort of surprised at my interpretation and sort of thought, oh, that that's not what I intended, but I like that. That's better. You know, so he was extremely collaborative in that sense. And that, that, that feels good too, because then it feels like you're, you're not an extra step removed from the character. You're a little bit more a part of the process. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. How did you find the the pacing of it, like, day to day? I mean, watching the movie, it feels so packed, and it's really riveting, and that's really hard to do on an indie budget oftentimes, but it, it, it pulls it off to such an extent that I'm wondering what it was, felt like to pull that part of it off. It was, I mean, it was a big script. It was, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I, I want to say the script was about a, almost 140 pages. Wow. Uh, so, which is long. And, you know, for folks out there that don't know, the average script is, you know, a hundred pages, like, uh, you know, unless you're dealing with like a, an auteur who regularly makes two and a half hour to three hour long films. The script mm-hmm. is usually around a hundred pages, you know, so 140 is big. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a thick manuscript. Um, so it was definitely a lot to bite off in, um, but we had a pretty decent amount of time and we shot for seven weeks, which is pretty good for that's a lower good, budget yeah. film. Yeah. So we had, I wouldn't say the luxury of time. There was a lot to get, but the way he chose to shoot it um, offered a lot of opportunity to to cover things in a very organic and quick way so that every setup didn't have to be super, super dialed in. We could find it a little bit in the performances and in the camera work and, and, and all that. So um, it was daunting, but the team that put the film together had a, had put a, a, so much thought and work into it that they were, everybody was really prepared on the day. So we were, ne- it never felt, we never felt rushed. We never felt pressured in a way that it was like, we're going to, you know, we're going to run out of time on this day or anything like that. Hmm. Um, in terms of playing a real guy, I'm obviously Matt is a really particular filmmaker, very specific style. Um, I, I love reading about like you shaving your head consistently, for instance, but like, to what extent did you want to be accurate, for lack of a better word, and kind of balance that with your own interpretation? I wasn't concerned with being accurate in terms of the physicality of the character or the vocalization of the character, its speech patterns and things like that, simply because Jim Balsley is just not widely known enough to where I felt like I needed to do um a Jim Balsley, I, I don't know, uh, embodiment, impersonation, I guess, would be a slightly more sort of sketchy way of putting it. But um, mm-hmm. so it was less about being true to to the real Jim and more about being uh, true to the script. Um, I, I, you know, of course, the script is based on a book. Um, so understanding the story, understanding the book, understanding all the facts as I knew them, combined with the fact that I knew that Matt Miller and Matt Johnson, who wrote the script together, um, had 
had done tons of work and research outside of the book itself. So I knew that, that they were, they had worked very diligently in, in how they approached the script. So, so I, I chose to focus more on being true to the script than being true to whatever was, you know, the real life events. Hmm. The connection for me between this character and say, uh, Dennis or a number of your other characters is the, the level of intensity, <laughs> uh, that with, with which they operate, uh, how, how they operate in the world. How do you summon that as an actor? <laughs> hmm. You know, I think, honestly, I experience the world in a very intense way. And I always mm. have, um, I'm, I'm extreme. I'm just very sensitive and often reactive. Honestly, uh, I would argue sometimes, and so would my family probably uh, overly reactive, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, at times. It's something I've had to work on as a, as a human being to not be an insufferable person. Mm. Um, but it's a great tool as an actor. Um, ev things affect me deeply and it doesn't take much for it to affect me. So all that is to say, it, it requires a tremendous amount of actual energy and mm -hmm. you're burning a lot of calories, certainly, but having access to it is, that's also something that comes with experience. Um, you know, and working in television in particular, because you, you don't have the luxury of time ever on television. Television right. moves so fast that I have gotten very good at getting myself there very quickly. And there's little tricks and, you know, things that you can do. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a big, big believer in you can do all the research, you can do all the work, you can do all the preparation, you can have all the tricks you want and all the substitutions and all the actory things that you can do. And those that stuff's all great. But at the end of the day, what you need to do is just play pretend. If you know who your guy is, the way he thinks, what he wants in the scene, what he wants overall in life, all that stuff, then once you get on set, it's, it's just, it's playtime. It's, you got to get in there and just, it's not that different from playing cops and robbers when we were kids. The difference is, hmm. I think, uh, between say the average kid or the, a normal kid and me playing cops and rob robbers is I think I took it a little bit more seriously than they did. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for an actor though, I think. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. Is that something you were, I guess, always aware of? Like, if I just think about the span of Always Sunny and the evolution of that character, like, did you find yourself maybe leaning into that part of who you are a little bit more, or how to harness that in a different way? Yeah, the, the you know, quick to frustration about uh, people's behavior, um, <laughs> you know, quick to react to anything aspect of myself is definitely something that has gone into the writing of the character of Dennis. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's me acting on things in a way that I obviously would never do in my real life. Um, but it is fun to be able to actually act on impulses that, you know, you can't really act on in real life. There's yeah. some wish fulfillment there for sure. Yeah. Now that you've, Cross that, I think it's safe to say, a kind of film milestone, a really good role, and a really good movie. Do you feel ready to maybe take on something in a substantial kind of role that's maybe slightly more laid back? Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually love that. I really would. I've, I've, I would love to play a character that's not so intense all the time. Um, it's my own fault because the truth is, I'm drawn to that. As a performer, sure. um, when I read a script, I'm, I'm, I'm very drawn to extraordinarily intense characters. 
Most of my favorite performances from most of my favorite actors are very intense performances. Um, you know, but there's also often been extremely understated performances that have been extraordinarily effective and emotional. And uh, I do look forward to delving to, to a little bit more of that and, um, and you know, playing characters where even if they are intense at times can can have moments of, of ten, like real tenderness and love and connection. And I'm excited to, to get something like that in the future where I can express a totally different side of myself that I, you know, the, the, the softer side of myself, which is very much there. I mean, I'm a, you know, I've been married for uh, 14 years and together with my wife for 17 years and I've got kids and I have a, a very active, you know, tender, loving side that had never, I have never once, I don't think, shown like in a performance really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's time. It's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a, a particular thrill for me to have you on this podcast because I, I believe It's Always Sunny is technically, it is technically the most like, ignored show in Emmy history. <laughs> we are an awards podcast, um, yeah. however loosely we define that term. And, and it's because your performance in BlackBerry is so great and has gotten some attention along those lines already and, and chatter, like, given the legacy of the show in that regard, uh, which I know you're <laughs> aware of, like, how does it feel to get even talked about in that way? Um, yeah, I'm certainly not, not accustomed to it. Um, I've been fortunate insofar as, you know, I've run into fans of the show and, and other things that I've done in a a AP bio uh, on the street. And I get wonderful feedback from people and, you know, wonderful feedback from people within the industry that are big fans of the show. And, you know, so that's been nice, but you're right. The, the, the awards aspect of things has been thus far elusive. Um, but I try not to, I guess I, I, I try to also acknowledge the fact that there are just so many great performers and writers, directors mm -hmm. that are out there that haven't even gotten the amount of recognition that I have gotten up to this point, regardless of the fact that I've never won an award or anything like that. Um, all that would be wonderful, but I also try not to get too hung up on what I haven't been able to get and try to focus more on feeling gratitude for, for the recognition that I have gotten up to this point. That being said, <laughs> um, having a performance that's being talked about in the way that, in the way that this one is being talked about, you know, of course it feels good. You, you don't want to perform into a vacuum. Um, in an ideal world, you're doing something that's having an effect on people, um, mm -hmm. that's touching people. And, and, and if you can do that to the degree that, that people start actually talking about the wonderful, uh, icing on the cake, you know, as awards are, it's 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 certainly gratifying. It's it's fun, but it's also really foreign to me, and 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 almost a little strange, to suddenly um, be getting that kind of attention. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice. I mean, it's lovely, and and I'm grateful, truly. Yeah. Uh, you graduated from Juilliard, which I did not realize uh, before did, this yeah. interview. Oh really? Um, no, I didn't. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Coming out of that, and you mentioned people not thinking you were funny, like, how did you see yourself as an actor coming into the industry? And I guess, how would you compare that to where you are now? You know, I viewed myself in some ways in similar terms to how I view myself now. Um, hmm. I really see myself as an actor first and foremost, and and that my job ultimately is to serve whatever the thing is, whatever the project is. 
I always knew that I had a capacity for comedy, but I guess I didn't really know that it was necessarily that much better than, say, any other actor's capacity for comedy. Um, I suspected maybe that there was something there because I always seemed to thrive whenever I would work on a comedy play or something like that. Um, I would always get a good response, but I never really, th- I never thought of myself as a comedy person at all. I really thought of myself as a, as a, just an actor who can do drama and comedy and who enjoys doing both. And I, and I really do enjoy doing both. But when I look back on it now, in retrospect, I do, I'm able to see with 2020 hindsight that I was always destined to work in comedy, um, mm-hmm. in some capacity, you know, not necessarily to the degree that I, that I actually did. Um, but you know, it's such a weird anomaly to, to, to be on a show for 16 years. It's, it's, it's yes. absolutely bizarre. So, <laughs> um, it's unheard of, like quite literally. It's unheard, it's unheard. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. amazing though, too. It's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And, and, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's so fortunate. Uh, there were definitely times where I, I felt like I was in danger of being hemmed in by the show um, and being hemmed in as a, as a comic performer. But at the same time, I always kind of looked at it as an interesting challenge to try to, to, try to fight my way out of that um, stereotype. And hopefully BlackBerry is a, a project that pushes things in the direction that I've wanted to go in for quite some time. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back on Thursday. Find us in the meantime on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider at VanityFair.com and on Twitter on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. And David. David Canfield 97. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. The Run Through Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.